0: Everyone and welcome to Everyday Linux episode 211. Meeting Miles. Recorded October 25th, 2015 and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroach, and joining me as always, well, as kind of usually Here lately are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the command line godfather, Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Well, hello, Mark and Seth. I hope everything went good last week, and welcome to the craziness that is Element
2: and the Everyday Linux show. And I would like to welcome everyone as well and say, Chris, if you would listen to the show, you know it was awesome. I did. No,
0: you didn't. You never listened to the show.
1: How do you know?
2: Because you said.
0: I never listened to the show.
1: I did last week. Okay.
0: And joining us uh, this week is is a guest slash co-host slash guy we found on the on the internet. Um, uh, I should have asked him before the show started, but I'm going to go with my basic um, uh, uh, Eurocentric pronunciation and say Miles Wakeham is joining us. Hi, Miles. Hey, how you doing? You got it right this time. Awesome. Um, I'm generally pretty good with that sort of stuff, but you never know. Um, so Miles is uh, the first ever, I think it's the first ever, after 211 episodes, I can't keep track anymore, um, listener spotlight uh, show. We've, we did that on the Taiwan Tech show that I used to do. In fact, that's how Chris came to be. Well, that's not how he was born, but that's how he came to be uh, in the podcasting world. He was a listener spotlight on the Taiwan Tech and then later uh, became this whole mess that you see before you. Uh, so Miles is, uh, is our listener spotlight. Basically, he sent me an email and said, I want to be on your show. Please let me be on your show um that's a paraphrase and we said (laughs) okay that's a fine idea bubba so
3: here he is so say hello to the world miles oh hello world okay so So it (laughs) might sound a little funny to some people because i'm got this australian accent so but i am here in the states
0: right so it's it's australia by way of california or something like that right
3: no i live in the desert i live out in arizona oh arizona okay
0: ah i've been there Arizona. I was just guessing by time zones. So we now represent all four time zones in the continental U.S. (laughs) at this
1: point. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) Cool. Time zones are terrible for scheduling podcasts, but Miles was like, hey, whatever, I'll do whenever you can be here. So I'm in Eastern, Seth is in Central, uh, Chris is in Mountain, and Miles is in Pacific. Um, uh, Sorry, uh, Alaska and... um, What's the one that they call Nova Scotia? They're in they're in the I can't forget what they call it, but we don't represent you. But the continental US, we got you covered. Spanning the continental divide <laughs> since October twenty fifteen. <2015. laughs> So I'm trying something new this week And I want to get right out of the way uh, See, that makes it sound bad I want to get right up front our, our advertisers I'm going to try this Instead of trying to work them in And be smooth and subtle And all suave about it I'm just going to say right up front That this show is brought to you By our good friends over at the Linux Academy Where you can uh, take your basic computer skills And turn those into professional Linux skills By way of their hundreds now Of step-by-step video courses Each of the video courses has a piece PDF study guide that goes along with it. Uh, those study guides are time-coded with the video so that you can watch while you read and read while you watch. And then that, that is all capped off by their amazing uh, lab platform where you can have uh, eight d- machines to choose from, four of them running at once, all communicating with each other in a private, safe environment on Amazon's web services. So it's lightning fast. Uh, plus, you get the, the, the tools to create your own lesson plans, all these things that we've talked about time and time again. Uh, I am a big believer that you simply cannot find uh, this quality of content and this volume of quality content at this price anywhere on the web. What's that price? How about $29 a month? Well, that sounds a little pricey. Okay, you can pay less. (laughs) $29 a month is their basic uh, one-month all-you-can-eat price. So for a month, you can go in there and you can spend 24 hours a day for 30 days um, just downloading videos. Um, That would be probably a pretty unpleasant experience, but you could do it because there are no limits to time that you can spend. Download whatever you want. Watch whatever you want. uh, Take as many courses as you want. All for $29 a month. But if you buy a quarter, that's three months at a, uh, at a block, you, that's only $69. So you get a, a discount right off the top there. If you buy annually, it's $229, which breaks down to just under $19 a month. $19 a month for literally a new career. You're not going to find that too many places on the web. But if you go and you use the, uh, the code Linux to let them know that we sent you, you won't even pay that much. Also, the show is brought to you by DigitalOcean. If you want to uh, a high-speed, high-performance virtual server in the web, DigitalOcean is your place to go. Everything they have is uh, KVM-hosted, so it's near-real-time hardware performance on powerful hex core machines with dedicated RAM. SSD, 100% SSD, performance like you wouldn't believe. Spin up a new machine in under a minute uh, with a one-click install process. You want a... a, a um, Ubuntu server running Drupal with uh, all the modules and Apache running on it. Okay, that's a click of a button. 55 seconds later, you're going to be running it. You want to set up a WordPress server, click a button. 60 seconds later, you're going to be running it. All these for prices that, frankly, are ridiculous. $5 a month is the to starting price. That gives you 512 megs of RAM, a one core processor, 20 gigs of storage space, and a terabyte a month of transfer. That's a very basic blog-type service. But come on, 5 bucks a month to own your own server? You're not going to find that. Uh, any, well, I don't know about that. You pro- might find that elsewhere, but you're certainly not going to find less than that. But DigitalOcean is so sure of themselves and of their product, they'll give you a $10 credit just for using the code EverydayLinux when you sign up. So if you do the five-month plan, you got two months of free service. You do the 10-month plan, that's one month of free service. Do the 20-month plan, see, I'm doing basic math here. That's <laughs> two weeks of free service. So there's no uh, no risk. Try them out. If you don't like them, walk away. Nothing, no harm, no foul. Um, I've been using my $10 uh, credit now for about three months because I spin a server up. I use it for a while, and then I delete it. So that's, that's a trick there. So they charge you for uh, days that the server is... In, in uh, existence, but if you make a snapshot of it, destroy the server, then later go back and reload from that snapshot in that same 50 seconds, your time starts over again. So you can make that $10 a month. If you, don't, if you just need something to play around with, you can make it last years if you're that kind <laughs> of a tightwad, as I am. DigitalOcean.com. Use the code EverydayLinux. Let them know that you sent you. We sent you. So there you go. Sponsors out of the way. Whew. Glad that's over.
1: Well, now we can have all sorts of fun, right? <laughs>
0: um so let's talk a little bit uh, uh about the uh the event that nearly broke the internet and that is star wars episode seven the Force awakens tickets went on sale you guys got your tickets
3: <laughs> yeah <Not> right yet. <laughs> mm, no <laughs> no
1: uh
3: i do well, i bought my tickets
1: but mark think about where i'm at the chances of me getting my, my little theater is not going to have opening day tickets, even if I wanted it paid out the nose form right now. So, so I'll wait till it comes.
3: The way they no. work that, if you don't know. Go ahead, Miles. I was going to say, you know what they're doing here in Phoenix? Some theater here is running one of those marathons where they're doing the first six movies. Right, starting, starting the night starting before? At, yeah, the night before like midnight, and they project it so that the time that the new one comes out is exactly... After the end, of the last one. Right, just crazy. Wow, and
0: I that's. I hope there's a god. pee break in there somewhere.
3: Oh god, think <laughs> Can about you that. What so that, what that place must smell like? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I can't. It's it, it smells smells yeah. like the the most wretched.
0: Uh, uh, ah, I've I've lost it. The the most wretched hive of scum and villainy you'll find anywhere in the in the universe. Um, Moss Eisley, <laughs> uh, no, just me. Okay. No, so, I knew what you were going for. So, uh the the way they did it was really kind of brilliant. So, ABC is owned by Disney. ABC has Monday Night Football. So the way they did it is after our ad airs after uh, on Monday Night Football, tickets go on sale. So you got geeks watching football for the first time in, you know, ever um or watching Twitter uh, realistically. <laughs> So the the ad airs, and you never know exactly when it is because football games are, you know, they're live events. They move on, and so you can, you can plan things, say, in the third, um, you know, third minute of the, the fourth quarter, but you never know exactly on the clock when the third minute of the fourth quarter goes. So it forced people to actually watch football, which I think was a brilliant marketing move. But they pretty much crashed uh, half of the servers. Um, uh, <laughs> Fandango just died. Um, and so thousands upon thousands of people broke the internet trying to buy their tickets for uh, Star Wars Episode 7 The Force Awakens. And so one of my coworkers the next day came to my cube and she was all excited. Did you get them? I'm, I'm sorry, what? Did you get them? What are we talking about? Your tickets. <laughs> I'm sorry, my tickets to what? Star Wars. Oh, oh yeah, those did go on sale last night. No, I didn't get any tickets. She says, "No, you got to get tickets." You got to get tickets opening day so we can talk about it Monday morning.
1: <laughs> and I thought that's awesome.
0: I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not going to show up in costume with a lightsaber, uh, mainly because I'm too fat to get in a Darth Vader costume. Uh, that's really the only reason. Um, but you know, I'm a married guy. I got three kids. Uh, finding a sitter is is never an easy thing to do. But then, the more I thought about it, the more I thought if I don't buy the tickets ahead of time at a reserve seating place. It may be three months before I get to see it. That's the way the original one was. It was, it right. was selling out everywhere. So uh, the the second day, the day after the the internet broke, I went online and started looking at the five or six things in the entire Metro Atlanta area that offer reserved seating because I wasn't going to do general seating because if you do general seating and the show starts at seven, you got to show up at five for a movie like this. Maybe yep. maybe mm-hmm. even four thirty. Um, um, and so and that's just to get you know any just to get anywhere um so i wanted a place where i could reserve, reserve seat e5 that's me um so i started looking for those and every place i went was sold out opening night sold out um you know the the evening of saturday so i ended up finding a saturday matinee at 2 p.m i got bought the last two seats next to each other in the theater um wow. the, the rest of them were just like onesie twosies scattered throughout like next to the handicapped or up next to the bathroom or over next to the exit sign um so th- that was the next day right so it wasn't it wasn't like i was a uh, uh you know you guys waiting way too late uh <laughs> that was just 24 hours later yeah. and i had to buy a ticket the next day uh, at a matinee so the world has gone insane for this movie and we don't even know if it's going to be any good but it's the first new star wars in you know 30 years.
1: Yeah, it's been a few decades. Yep.
0: Uh, if, you know, cuz there wasn't anything in the in the 90s, there wasn't anything in the 2000s. So,
2: you know, we haven't I'm had still anything. to see what happens after the Empire struck back. Yeah. So, hopefully this will address it.
0: <laughs> we haven't had anything uh, after the Ewoks. Um so, yeah. you know, this is the first the first real Star Wars. It's like they're getting the band back together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, the it's, Rolling yeah. Stones when I, I just uh Mick Jagger And when he was like 21 uh, Was quoted as saying uh, In uh, What's the rock and roll magazine Rolling Stone magazine Rolling Stone Yeah He was quoted as saying I don't want to be singing I can't get no satisfaction When I'm 40 And then the next quote That follows it is I can't get no satisfaction Mick Jagger Age 40 Um which is, funny. it's funny because they, yeah, they did that. They got back together. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious that the, uh, the prequels didn't exist. I know that they were there, but um, even the, the excitement around those was not near what it is for this one. You know, they did the 25th anniversary re-release uh, and then they did the, the, the prequels, which everybody agrees were not nearly as good as the first one. So this is the first opportunity to really get it right. So I'm hoping it does. So two months early, also, I bought my tickets.
1: And this is, and this is also the continuation of the story because, you know, the last we right. saw was, like you said, the Ewoks. So, you know, there's a lot of waiting and wanting, wanting to know what actually finished the story for right. those that don't read the books. So, yeah.
2: Well, well, no, the story, it basically did away with all the books. Those books are no longer canon.
0: Yeah. Disney, really. uh, Lucasfilm, under the, the auspices of their new overlords, Disney, redefined canon. And said that, you know, this large bu- uh, uh, body of work is no longer canon. Huh. So that they can do whatever that. they want, basically. Yeah. What's it called? Wikipedia? I think. Uh, <laughs> look that up. Uh, <laughs> Wikipedia. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's the Star Wars wiki. So anyway, enough about my fanboying. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll let you know how it is. But I fully expect everybody at the theater to be me. Old guys in their forties who had had to wait till Saturday afternoon to get a babysitter. Um, <laughs> so the, the theater I'm going to is one of those where you you eat and watch the movie. So it counts as dinners and a movie, and we'll be home by you know five p.m. So that's what old Man. people do: dinner and a movie before five p.m. That's not too bad. Um, and you know I've got two months to find a sitter.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Your oldest daughter? I mean, she's a teenager now.
0: She can she sit. is. Yeah, and in fact yeah. for her birthday she got a book, uh What to expect when you're babysitting. So she's There you go. Um I, I have a pretty good idea what to expect when she's babysitting, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let people prospective clients know what I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Um, there, there's a whole bunch of stuff I wanted to talk to you about uh, this week, but uh, one of the things I, I need to bring up, too, is there's a ZCast update, you know, um, the, the Element OB app that became ZCast. Um, it's, it's not ready. i am the only user of it right now, but uh, Kaiser ha, is actively working on variable speed playback. I know that was one of the biggest pieces of feedback that we got. I, I can't use it until I can listen to my podcast at 8x speed. Well— it's coming the rough draft (laughs) has been released i'm i'm super excited about it and if you're not if you haven't been using it do me a favor go to go to the website it's on on the show all the show notes for like the last year uh we really need people to to uh test this thing but one of the most requested features is coming so i'm happy to say that is it in the do we
1: have it in the store yet or is it still only coming from us
0: right now my server is the only place you can get it uh Google doesn't look highly on beta uh, things in their store. And if you get a bunch of crappy reviews when it's in beta, when it comes out of beta, you keep those crappy reviews. Um, so uh, we're we're not wanting to do it for those reasons.
1: For that reason, I see. I'm out. Uh, well, and it's also going to end up having to change a the name then because there is already a Zcast in the store.
0: Oh, okay. What's the icon look like? A uh, Z. Maybe he did put it in the store, and I didn't know it.
1: It's a green Z or a green background with a black Z. No, that's not it. Uh, For zombie development. Okay. No, so So. that could.
0: I'm. I don't think they require unique names because, in fact, I know that they don't. I've seen lots of apps with the same name. Um, Just as a thought, you know. Type flashlight and see how many apps you come up with. Oh yeah um sickness chris you are oh, ill. yes
1: oh not just me um it ripped through my whole family in about a week uh to the point where i also my wife has got pneumonia and i'm on the verge of it too so yeah great fun in my yeah, household this week
0: that's the beauty of family right there sharing your viruses with
1: one that's another. right we share and share alike uh yeah i've been on you know actually the the two adults in the house have been on antibiotics for almost two weeks now, trying to get it all taken care of because it's a nice lung infection type yeah. of, of cold. So yay. Yay. <laughs>
0: So, uh, Seth, you mentioned that my daughter is now 13. Thank you for the lead-in that I didn't take. Uh, last night, she turned 13 actually a week ago, uh, but we didn't have her party until yesterday. And she wanted a glow-slash-neon party. So, um L-O- slash Amazon is my friend. And I went through and bought a ton of uh, uh, glowing fluorescent stuff. We bought some black lights. I wired them all up. We bought some of that uh, uh, um, color-run powder Right. Right, If you've ever seen a color run, we bought a bunch of that. Uh, That was both the highlight of the party and the biggest mistake I made that night. Uh, Because you, you hand, uh, give handfuls of colored powder to middle school boys, Um, they will find a way to (laughs) shove it down somebody's face. Um, But we had a good time. I apologize to the neighbors. Our, the end of our cul de sac looks like a rainbow threw up on it. Uh, (laughs) But we, uh, um, we had a good time with it. Um, let's see. Wait, somebody's in the in the chat room asking about the live feed. It should be up. So anyway, um, what was it? Oh yeah the the color run. So we, it was a, it was a lot of fun. A bunch of, of middle school kids. Uh, we had uh, paint black light paint. So if it, it was maybe a faint white color, but under the black light, it turned into a neon green. So uh, they. They all sort of instinctively started painting themselves like zombies. Uh, so we had we had That's a bunch awesome. of glowing neon zombies walking around. It was a lot of fun. Uh, if you enjoy um, uh, that sort of stuff, I highly recommend it. And it's you know it was easy. It was outdoors. We had a fire pit. We roasted marshmallows. It's good stuff. Um, so cool.
1: See, I haven't, we haven't done a glow party, but we did a. The, we used the same color paints, and we did a family color fight, and had a photographer take pictures of it. Right. So it sounds very similar to this. And the stuff it's just was a blast.
0: it's just cornstarch and food coloring. So it's food safe, non allergenic. Um, yep. I mean, we did have some kids get a big gob of it right in their eye, and it was fine. So I highly recommend that um, uh, if you're going to do it. And you know, a bunch of glow sticks and and black lights. Uh, it's a great way to to do something unique and exciting for kids. Um, that's all. But uh, also as a part of that, I wanted to give her, uh, I got her a new phone. We talked about that, I think, last week. Yeah. I wanted to give her some Google Play credit. That's really mm-hmm. hard to do. Why is it so hard to give Google money?
1: Or even to transfer money because, right. you know, for the same idea, you can't transfer somebody money if they're underage.
0: So it's super easy for me to
1: go buy Google Play credit on my account. But I can't,
0: that credit is completely non-transferable. Like, I I was reading uh, some forum posts. Like, if somebody in your family dies, you can call Google and speak to somebody, and they will do a one-time transfer of credits if you can prove that you have control of both accounts. What? Um, So they kept saying, you know, Google Wallet. All right. So I tried to set up my my kid a Google Wallet account. I put it – I typed it in there, and it said, nope, due to the age restrictions, this person can't have a Google Wallet account. So, so, you know, I – I don't understand that. I understand that you know maybe you got to have B18 to get a credit card. I get that. But there should be some way that we can let kids manage their that, some way that I can feed them money through the Google Play Store. Um, so what I ended up doing is is what I suspect every parent does. I went to Walmart and bought a prepaid yep. uh, Google Play credit card and scratched the thing off. This is so ridiculous. I had to drive down the store Uh, down the street to the store, purchase a physical device, scratch off the code for that physical device, enter that code one character at a time into a web page. throw the Google, uh, the the physical device away so that I could transfer an electronic credit from my bank account to an electronic credit in Google's bank account. What the heck, Google?
1: Yeah, no kidding. I found, I ran into that same problem like three months ago or so when my son was trying to buy a bunch of games and he doesn't have any credits points. So it's like, um, well, here's your allowance. Let's see if I can send it to Google and Google said, nope. <laughs> so, I ended up in the same boat and go get a Google Play credit call you know, the little credit card
3: and do the exact same steps and it's ridiculous. So, I have I, a Google uh, autonomous car that'll drive you to Walmart yeah. to get that card. <laughs> that, well,
0: was that would not- be nice
3: too. I I I did That's find cool. this service online that would
0: they would they had cards in stock. They would scan a picture of it and email you the picture of it. No, that's great. I'll do it that. They charged an $11 fee per card to do that. So for a $10 credit, it was $21. Ah, no. I understand you got a business. business. Yeah, exactly. That's actually a pretty darn good business model for them, but no. So if if any of our vast Element OP audience out there is aware of uh, some way that I can fully electronically, without physically touching anything but a keyboard, purchase Google Play credits for my child, please let me know.
1: Yeah, let us know because I'm also in the same boat. I want to be able, my son wants to be able to buy stuff, and we have to keep going to the store to get those silly cards. So I bought each of my kids a
0: $10 uh, credit. I put it on their accounts for them because I, I know their passwords, I administer their accounts. Um, and uh, the, the seven year old immediately bought $10 worth of diamonds in her stupid dragon game. I, I just kind of rolled my eyes and thought, well, hey, that's your money. You can do what you want with it, but honestly, I don't think you made the best choice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that that's a big market. People make pay make millions of dollars on stupid games like that.
1: They do. I wish I would have thought of some. <laughs> yep.
0: Oh, yeah, right. I'm
2: in the wrong business.
0: Exactly. Why why am I not in the business of scanning cards? Cuz I'm <laughs> I'm guessing the way this works. I don't know this. I haven't looked it up. But Walmart isn't going to sell a $10 gift card for $10 if they paid $10 for it. So they're buying it at $9 um, or less. And they're selling it to me for $10. they are pocketing the dollar. Google gets $9 credit where they would have gotten no dollars credit. So it works to their benefit. So I'm guessing that this company is also getting a discount but then tacking an eleven dollar fee on it. So there's got to be somebody out there that will provide me that service for, you know, fifty cents. So that they get the ten dollar credit for nine dollars and charge me fifty cents. I'm fine with that.
2: Uh, I think you're wrong. I think it's some fourteen year old kid walking down to Walmart <laughs> and buying those cards. <laughs> that's and entirely that's possible. why you're being charged eleven dollars.
1: Yeah. yeah, I would see that.
0: Because I mean, I understand that there's labor involved because they literally have to grab the physical card, scratch the key off, take a picture of it, and email it to you. So I don't begrudge them making some money for that. But eleven dollars?
2: Yeah, maybe four. I could see four. I wouldn't. I mean, even come on, you it. get fifteen dollars to say, "Would you like fries with that?" So why not eleven dollars to physically do work? <laughs> yeah. So
0: I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay that much for it. Yeah. Uh, I think I think my limit is a dollar. A dollar convenience fee, of course. At the ATM, I pay two and three and five dollar convenience fees,
1: which is uh, why I was saying four, three or yeah. four. Of
0: course, the whole reason yeah. for an ATM was to save money for banks on tellers; they didn't have to pay it for hit. tellers anymore, and now they charge you the convenience fee. <laughs> they're, they, they're winning again. We're all in the wrong business. A fool and his money
2: are soon parted.
0: That's the truth. Yes, saith Solomon. Miles, what business are
3: you in that is wrong? Uh whatever makes money. Uh, awesome. <laughs> Bitcoin mainly. Re- no, I- yep. is that really what all worked. those machines you behind know you do? What I do yeah. <laughs> I haven't worked that out? It's been fifty years.
2: <laughs>
3: uh, uh, should I ask your wife? She would know. No, she probably not. She's she's. Gotten used to ignoring me, so <laughs> no, not that's a healthy do. relationship right there. Yeah. yeah, no, it works. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so the
0: the one other thing this is just this is topics time, and this is something that comes up on this show all the time the 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 Apple versus Android. I just last night at the party, uh, somebody said, "Hey, is that an Apple Watch you're wearing?" Uh, referring to my Moto 360, and I get that question. Once a week, every 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 other week at the at the extreme outside, uh, and I, you know, I don't have a pat saying yet. I, depends on who it is, but this time I there was a, I knew there was an Apple fanboy beside me, and I said no, it's better. Um, <laughs> and he was like, you know, I never hear anybody say that. I said yes because you only spend time around Apple fanboys. Uh, it does more and it costs less than the Apple Watch. That to me translates as better.
1: Yeah. Um, I would too. So
0: well, then, if you want to get technical about it, golly. Yeah. so he's a friend, and so we had this good-natured uh, debate about you know, and it always always comes down to I like Apple better. Okay, you're allowed to like Apple better, but that doesn't make it better. Um, and so, just tonight, I had a a, a holy war argument with a, a vegan who was trying to win me over to the righteousness that is veganism.
2: Yeah, um, never gonna happen which is me.
0: never going to happen for me. Exactly right. Um, Can you barbecue
2: Agree that bacon is vegan. We'll talk. Yeah,
0: and and you know, especially since I know this particular vegan has eaten thousands of pounds of pig uh, in their <laughs> lifetime. Uh, so it it kind of falls it falls on deaf ears at that point. But it occurred to me, and this is the philosophical philosophical discussion we'll have. Are humans hardwired to have holy wars? All the way through our history, you can trace it to bloody battles that all relate, all come down to a difference of opinion—not even a difference of fact, a difference of opinion. And and we like to think that in you know 2015, the 21st century, we're modern man and we're above and beyond that. We're so not. Go to any YouTube comment video, and you'll see a holy war. (laughs) It doesn't matter what the YouTube video was about. The YouTube video could have been a, a pretty sunset. But somewhere down in comment number 395, there's a holy war developing about something. Is, it, is there any hope for, for humanity? Not just America. Humanity? Are we, just, are we predisposed genetically, uh, spiritually, whatever, to have religious wars about stupid things?
3: I, you know, the, like thing thing I, the thing I notice about this is that it gets religious when there are two options. It's like a sporting game, right? you got team mm-hmm. A, you got team B. But you introduce Team C into the mix, and everyone backs off. And they're all like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. They're not interested in supporting their Team A or their Team B, but when there's a third option in, everyone backs off. Or they dilute the third option.
0: Exactly. So most of these arguments uh, at some point boil down to, I'm not able to win you over by logic and reason, therefore I will attack you. And that's to me, that's what calls uh, what I call a religious war. When it reaches to the point of, well, you're just wrong because you're wrong, that's when you've reached religious war status. It's no longer fact, it's religion. And, you know, religion doesn't necessarily mean the God to which you pray, religion is the thing which you do uh, uh, religiously. Uh, And, you know, or believe in, yeah. Right and you know the 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 target audience uh, allegedly of this show linux users uh are often cast as the most religious zealots um i don't think they are but they they have that reputation is there what's the miles you say the that the options are the way but you know i can i can come up with all kinds of reasons where that's not true when there's options uh people uh still pair up around their one so you know like Uh, the best Android phone, right? There's lots of options for that. So nobody argues about Samsung versus HTC, or they might, but the religious war is all coalesces around Android versus Apple. So when there's a lot of options, you find the thing that is most like you and then attack the thing that is most unlike you.
3: Yeah, I've always lived the credo that you do exactly the opposite of whatever else is doing. So if you've got 49% on one side and 49% on the other side, I want to be in that little 2% right. spread in the middle. Yeah, That's would, where the sweet yeah. spot is. Mark Twain once said, when you find yourself on the side
0: of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect.
3: Right. <laughs> right. There was, a, there I think, is. a saying that Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad said, and he said, there are three signs to every coin. There's the the head, the tail, and the edge. And the edge is where all the action is. <laughs> That's nice. I like
1: that. I like it.
0: So, Seth, we haven't heard from you on this. What are your thoughts on the the human nature and the religious war?
2: Well, people are inherently prideful, and nobody's allowed to deal with their pride now because everything's so political correct, and nobody is taught logic or the finer points of rhetoric. So, everything... Reducts down to ad hominem arguments and also because you don't know how to logically attack someone's position because you're too lazy to research your position. The only attack you have is to attack the other side's messenger. And that is that's why because people are stupid because we spend all of our time watching cat videos instead of reading worthwhile books.
0: So your contention, Seth, is that this is an education problem? I
2: That I think would get rid of a lot of it. If people could say, wait a minute, attacking the person doesn't change the message, but nobody takes the time to learn anymore. You know, you, nobody's going to read a book. If you can't say, if you can't reduct something down to 140 characters, it's obviously too long and complicated. So there will always be the the religious fringe, unfortunately, the fringe is like the ninety-nine percent now. So, but to follow think,
0: that, to follow that logic, you would have to say that there have never been this type of arguments among educated people, and I, you just can't say that.
2: No, but you can. If you were to graph out the religious wars, you would see an explosion in the last ten to twenty years. I, I don't, so,
0: I, I don't think there is actually a greater number, just greater visibility.
2: I don't know. I think that people, there's no one answer, but I think that people just don't take the time to learn anymore, and so it's easier just to attack somebody than to go and study their position.
0: Well, it's definitely easier, um, and, but more than that, it, it's the only, the end of every discussion comes down to I'm right because I'm right, and you're wrong because you're wrong. I don't think it's about easy. I think that's the, the core of every discussion that goes past a certain point. Um, you know, reasonable people can, can disagree about reasonable things, but the moment they become unreasonable, there is no amount of education or logic that can, that can change that. I'm unreasonable about my love for bacon. You cannot convince me (laughs) that veganism is a more righteous way to live. I'm closed minded about that. I accept that I'm closed minded about that. Um, and you can, you can show me all kinds of statistics about how horribly animals are treated and how terrible the uh, factory farming process is. Um, but it doesn't matter. If an, if an animal has to suffer so that I can eat bacon, I'm good with that.
2: So <laughs> no amount wouldn't have been alive. Exactly. If we didn't want to eat the bacon.
0: But, but no, see, we're, let's take all of that out. So let's di- distill it down to its essence. You're saying that an animal's suffering is more important than my pleasure. And I'm saying that my pleasure is more important than an animal's suffering. All the other arguments are specious and, and outside of that. So I don't care how many animals have to suffer to make me feel good. Because I believe that I am better than any animal. That the smartest, the best animal, is not as good as the worst human.
2: So then, so, what you're saying is there's nothing wrong with dog fighting? I, absolutely, I have no moral compunction against that at all. So yeah, okay. Just as as long as you're aware of that, because yeah. you know, I think that when it comes to something like, I don't know, I'm I'm not for the. I'm not for treating animals humanely because I don't think they're human. And I think there's a quantitative difference between human and any other animal. But at the same time, I don't want to abuse animals. And so if I can have the ignorance that those pigs are free range pigs that I'm eating (laughs) the bacon of, I'm good with that. So
0: So, uh, I I qualified my statement there about dogfighting and said, I have no moral compunction. I don't. However, it's against the law. And we all know that I have a heavy respect for the law. So if you do it, you should you should suffer the legal punishment for it. But only because yeah. society as a whole agreed that it was a bad thing to do and made a law about it. That's that, Laws by definition are legislated morality. We agreed something was moral and or immoral and we created a law that said so. Mm-hmm. So though all those people who who try to end every argument with you can't legislate morality don't have an understanding of what a law is.
3: Well, there's also the point that Killing an animal to eat it supports your basic need to exist and eat. Now, watching an animal kill another animal has no influence on me, on food, shelter, and clothing, and all the basic things that I need. That's, if that's entertainment for some people, okay, whatever. It's not for me. Um, but, you know, but it, when it comes to me having a 16-ounce ribeye, bring it on brother see it's interesting <laughs> miles
0: because you I feel that you made a, a, an a, equivocation there Equ, equivocation that's the word um, was you you took you didn't address my argument that that animals are below humans and therefore humans could do what they want to with them and you you compartmentalized it and said this is okay this is not um, and that's where I, I think people in general are afraid to deal with harsh realities. I'm not afraid with uh, of being a jerk. In saying that I think it's okay for any human to do anything they want to with any animal. That's a, that's a bold, uh, brash, audacious statement, but it's also at the core of why everybody, not just me, has pets and eats meat.
1: Yep. right. But w-
0: when we right. refuse to admit that, we spawn off all these thousands of other arguments, and the the, the militant vegan believes at her core— her, him. I'm using her because I to to juxtapose to me, the male, uh, the militant vegan has at her core the belief that animals are equal to or in many cases superior to humans. Therefore, the nobility of the creature means that we cannot eat them.
3: And I but, would only agree to that if there was an animal that was more dominant than we were in the species. Right. So if I'm up against a big black bear, yeah, we'll have that conversation. But if <laughs> but if it's if it's a chicken, no, <laughs> it right. ain't going to happen.
0: Right. So if I'm in the ocean and a shark bites me, that's not the shark's fault. That's my fault. I
3: went into yeah, his that's world. Right. Yeah, you're in his world, buddy. Exactly. I mean,
0: <laughs> if, if I'm in, the, in the, the forest and I come up on a, a giant Kodiak bear and he decides to have me for lunch, that's his right.
3: Let's take mor- morality out of it. He's bigger, he's stronger, he wins. And to, to your and sure point, well he's not having discussions with exactly. other Kodiak bears about whether it's right to eat humans or not.
0: So if another uh, alien race comes down and is so much more powerful than humans, uh, a la uh, uh, War of the Worlds, that they have the ability to, to farm and raise humans as food stock, I'm okay with that. Because well, you know, they are that much better. You just pick
3: up all the chickens and throw them at them. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: I think what's uh. interesting is people, um, they want to be perceived as uh, rational insane, and so they will do insane, irrational things to seem rational and sane.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is uh, totally the wrong conversation for this group of people, but I- I'm trying to get at what, why is it a given that humans will devolve into that kind of fight
1: because we are also masters of our own and when we try to enforce that on someone else then it we impede their master of their own yeah. you know what i'm saying
0: but so why do we want to
1: why do we have an
0: intrinsic need to to proselytize whatever it is whether it's religious or or you know an apple fanboy and a mac fanboy i i if I, if I can convince somebody to put down an iPhone and pick up an Android phone, I feel like I've won somehow. I haven't. It's ridiculous to even think <laughs> that, but I do.
1: It's in me. Hmm. Yeah. See, I guess I don't have that desire personally, so I don't know where where to even go with that, Mark. For me, it's, a, got it's a Fitbit.
0: Fitbit. <laughs> what about it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it's 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 a. Uh, I don't know. I, I've run out of ideas, and, and you guys aren't with me, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> um, to the listener feedback, Mike offers a correction uh, to his email from last week. I um, misread the article that he said, and I said that the 10 gigabit fiber uh, connection coming uh, to Chattanooga was from Comcast. It's not. It's in. It's in competition. With comcast it's actually uh the uh, electrical power board so it's a it's a local power company uh i don't know if it's a municipality or not um offering this it's no data cap uh 10 gig synchronous imagine Ooh. that um and they have other tiers 100 meg synchronous and uh one gig synchronous their one gig synchronous 70 dollars a month
2: <laughs> i think uh, my oh, next wow. week show i'll be broadcasting <laughs> from chattanooga yeah so
0: I go I'm, thinking, I'm thinking. I'm oh thinking at God. those rates, they must be um, a cooperative. That's, they,
1: yeah, co-op or government yeah, sponsored.
0: They can't have a, a, a goal to to make money at that rate. Now, the where I used to work, there was a local county electric co-op that also also offered not only electricity but internet. Um, and their electric rates were way lower than everybody else. The internets were internet rates were way lower because they didn't have a charter to make money. So. They whatever it cost them to provide the service plus a management fee to keep the business running. That's what they charged. And at these right rates, seventy dollars for gigabit synchronous. Holy crap! Fifty eight dollars for hundred meg. Uh, that's I'm considering a move crying. to Tennessee at this point.
1: I'm crying inside. I'm I'm, I'm dying. Thank <laughs> you, Mike. I, I now have a reason to open the veins because this is. I feel really horrible now.
0: Yeah, and for he. My- he clarifies that and says, but this doesn't include their TV service. Yeah. Like, like that's a knock against them in some I, way.
1: I, like, I would care.
0: Because <laughs> I'm paying 60 ish now for 14 down, one up.
1: Um, Bolts.
0: And I could get you're 100 synchronous that. for 58. Oh, my gosh.
1: You, you're hurting me, guys. Come yeah. on. Come on. <laughs>
0: And like Unto It, Tony writes in and agrees that American ISPs suck. says, I was listening to episode 209 and was shocked at the discussion about internet cost in the U.S. Here in the U.K., I have a 70 megabit unlimited connection, landline, phone line, and TV package from the only U.K. cable provider and is the equivalent of $99 a month U.S. I also understand that cell phone costs in the U.S. are equal expensive. I pay around $16 U.S. a month for 500 minutes, unlimited text, one gig mobile data, 4G, and for less than $30, I could have unlimited data if I wanted it. Maybe you should decamp to the U.K.
1: Well, but that is true, Tony. But you got to remember, though, the U.K. is like the size of one of our states. So <laughs> if they need to rip up groundwork to put new groundwork down, that's a you know barely a cost in the bucket. you want to rip up say the entire continental United States to put new fiber down you're talking multi billions to just even think about that,
0: and I suspect that both of these organizations are government backed um and so there's some kickback coming there, but also, I also know that that a t and t who is my provider, does not spend anywhere near the sixty dollars a month that they charge me for their service. They're 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 not only making a profit, they're making a huge profit. They're bending me over for the sake of their profit. So I think we need somewhere in between. Um, I'm okay with businesses making profit because that's how things get done. Uh, but you know there needs to be some sort of, and and we've talked about it many times before. These local monopolies created by the U.S. government um, are the reason that there is no competition, and there's no reason that the only two companies I can get broadband from are Comcast and AT and T, and it sucks and sucks worse. So there's there is no good choice because they know there is no good choice. Why on earth would Comcast spend one penny to make their service better? When the only other choice is AT and T, which is just as bad.
1: yes, yeah, still. Uh, I don't want to talk to you guys right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm spending over two hundred dollars a month for my network right now, and and yeah, whoa. And that's not even count. That, that's not even counting my my mobile pro- my mobile provider either. So, yeah, you guys all go away.
0: <laughs> I called AT and T to add my daughter's phone to the thing, and the guy I was talking to was like. Oh, wow, you have that plan? I've been with AT&T for 20 years. I got their service in 1996, Uh, so 19 years. Um, (laughs) So
1: you have this super unlimited plan.
0: Well, it's not unlimited. Uh, I had the unlimited plan, but when I moved to 3G, that's how long ago it was, they forced me to get off of the unlimited plan. But the plan I have uh, is I have three phones. I have uh, 20 gigs of data between the three phones. That's rollover. Whatever data I don't use rolls over to the, to the next month. So I started the plan on like day 28 of my billing cycle. So the first month, effectively, I had 40 gigs of data. Uh, plus, I'm on unlimited calling, unlimited text for $120 a month for three phones. Um, not, which, that's, yeah, I'm going to go back, that's that's to, not not go bad, back actually. to my whole. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I have like the fair, the one fair plan in the country. And only because I've been a customer for nearly two decades.
2: And they probably bring you up at every executive board <laughs> meeting. How do we get this Mark Cockrell guy off of that plan? Exactly, yeah. The the guy that I spoke to was like,
0: I can't get that plan. I'm an employee of the company, and I can't get that plan. Um, yeah. But- I, you know, I. A lot of people like to denigrate AT and Particularly, you hear other podcasts uh, that are based maybe in the in the southeast or the northwest. Uh, they they hate um, AT and Where I was from in, in Texas and and all across central country, uh, the central part of the country, they are not only the best but the only player. Um, and so I came here to Atlanta, and I don't have excellent service here, uh, and just because of the geographics of where I live. I'm at the at the bottom of a hill surrounded by trees. Um, even uh, uh, Verizon doesn't get much signal to my house and it's an oddity of my house. But when I'm out in the, you know, in the metropolitan area, I have amazing service. So I'm not a, a proselytizer of AT&T, but I, I, I do get frustrated when people uh, talk about how terrible they are. Maybe they are in the rest of the country, but if you're in the South, Southwest, it's
1: pretty darn good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to talk no. about you guys anymore. No.
2: They're just less they I'm done with this the topic. They're not good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, okay, so since Chris is going to cry into his, <laughs> his beverage of choice, I'll move on to uh, Drew, who has some comments on the name change. So uh, we've been talking about this for a while now. Uh, my goal is to start 2016 with this show having a new name of some kind. We just haven't decided what it is yet. Um, and true said, I thought I would reach out and let you know from the perspective of a new listener. I'm a hypothetical new listener that Seth mentioned in, in episode 208. I just discovered your podcast a few weeks ago by a search of the iTunes store using the term Linux. While none of the episodes since I began listening have been terribly tech heavy, there have been enough articles and such to keep it interesting. And the personalities of the host make the topic toujours engaging. I certainly see the argument for wanting to change the name to closer match the current format and have no problem with that. I guess my issue is with the metadata search directly from my company, issue, uh, from my company issued, used under duress, iPhone and iTunes garbage proprietary interface. If there's a way to maintain the Linux tag metadata associated with the show, you would still be able to be discovered by random people like me. Unfortunately, when searching directly from my phone, I have to use the whole show name to look for the search result uh, to look to, to look for or the search result is garbage. Uh, when logged into the store, the search is better and will return matches on the show name or episode titles, which is how I discovered your show. I will continue to listen, whatever the name becomes, as a Linux user, user Sabion, and Slackware, who dabbles in the sysadmin and web dev, dev worlds, and a Christian, a father, and a husband, I appreciate your perspectives and want to support in any way I can. Um, uh, <laughs> he puts in parentheses, how's that for a run-on sentence? It's such a run-on sentence, I couldn't finish it. <laughs> I want to support in any way I can your efforts. Sincerely, Drew S., a man outstanding in his field. So that's, uh, you know, I, I've heard that a lot. You're going to lose new listeners if you change the show. Um, maybe we will, maybe we won't, but I, I, I think Drew nails it. Um, we're not being honest with our name. So, Miles, as both a listener and somebody who's in front of a mic right now, what are your thoughts on that subject?
3: Well, I found you much in the same way that Drew did. I was looking for stuff to listen to on Linux, and so I Went onto the web and I went into iTunes and all the podcast registries. I typed in Linux and up comes Linux Action Show. I think it was Linux Outlaws at the time. Right. The Ubuntu UK podcast. Uh, you guys. Um, I think that was the bunch. So I just subscribed to them all. And I just sort of, over the months, I'd listened to all the episodes. I eventually started working out what I enjoyed. What I found was, you know, putting me to sleep. And I ended up stick, sticking with you guys and Linux Outlaws. And, of course, Linux Outlaws went bust last year. So, you're the one. You win. <laughs> um, <laughs> we you By default? Uh, I don't know if I like that. Well, <laughs> well the thing is, no, I I shouldn't. I still do listen to Chris and the Gang Up at a Linux action show. But, really, Linux brought me to you. Now, I'm a techie, so I'm one of those, you know, unwashed guys with the beard. Um, (laughs) But most people out there who have the interest in listening to podcasts are probably not going to search on Linux. My point, though, is that most of those people don't even know what a podcast is, let alone how to subscribe to one. So, unless they're Mac people, they would then have iTunes and so on. The average windows person and so on who's listening to spotify is never going to find you so at least you got the linux community going for you and maybe if you can do linux and something (laughs) or linux on the side or i don't know something something like that but get that linux out there so you know drew drew's right on at least that's my perspective
0: so did you feel uh how long have you been listening to the show a uh, hundred episodes. Okay. So okay. did you feel like there was a bait and switch when you tuned
3: into a Linux show and found that it wasn't a Linux show? Yeah, my initial reaction was, oh, I've come to the wrong place. I've turned down that wrong street. So I back up, go back on the freeway again. No, no, in this case, I actually stuck with it. And they're stuck with it because you guys are just so damn entertaining. Um, And I blow smoke up people's whatever, you know. But anyway, um, the thing is, it was enjoyable because, look, I'm a geek and you talk geek stuff and geek stuff's fun. And I can either, you know, there's a lot of generic geek shows out there, but most of them drive me nuts. And at least you guys are supporting the, you know, the open source free software, you know, thing, which is good for me. I'm a bit of a libertarian myself, so it works. And, um, yeah, it's like geek anarchy. <laughs> geek anarchy. Oh, well, yeah, I kind of like that. That works, too.
0: That's uh, oh, yeah. so- <laughs> pretty cool. The years uh, ago, uh, 2010, when I first started uh, this corporation, quote unquote, that is Element OP Productions, I had to come up with a, you know, a tagline. What, what are we in one sentence? So if you go to the, the ElementOP.com, the top left-hand corner is our logo, and it says Element OP Productions, entertaining, intelligent, enlightening media for passionate people. So that's entertaining is the first word in in my mission statement. That's the first thing I want to do. Uh, then, the secondly, I want to be enta- into uh, intelligent, and then I want to be enlightening. So, education is the third step down the line, and I want to speak to and with passionate people. So that was that was what I chose: entertaining, intelligent, enlightening media for passionate people. Uh, I hope we live up to that. Uh, and certainly, you know, the the Linux our uh, audience is a is a passionate audience, uh, for sure. But I think you nailed it right there when you said, and and that's like the greatest comment, uh, compliment you could have given me miles was when you said the show is entertaining. That's what we set out to do. There are lots of places you can go to get the same information we give, but you can't get it in the way that we deliver it. So, uh, thank you for that. But it does also create a problem where, uh, when most people look for a Linux podcast, they're looking for you know kernel how tos. How do I compile uh, the the Wi-Fi driver for the Broadcom three eighty six nineteen fifty four driver? Um, and this is not that show at all. And so it probably
1: t- never will be right. So
0: I'm trying to uh, trying to be a little more true with what the show is. But then the trouble is, I don't know what the show is the door to door geek responded to that when i asked the question why do you listen to the show and he says why do i listen because you're three nice guys who don't argue but intelligently hold conversations on topics i find interesting even if i had no previous interest on said topic
1: yeah, okay
0: and what yeah. i loved about that was he was probably dictating this and he had said said instead of "said," so it was s-e-d because he'd probably type that into his command console so many times that the autocorrect just assumed that's what he meant. Because that's the kind <laughs> that's of, funny. that's how we roll. Yep. <laughs> command line Godfather, what does
1: the said command do? Oh, you would put me on oh, the spot. Oh, he doesn't know. He, You bricked me on that one. I don't remember off the top of my head. I haven't used it in a while. Okay.
0: I don't either. I just Maybe know I've look. used it. It's a, yeah, I do
1: too. I just don't remember why. It's a
0: stream editor, Unix Utility, that parses and transforms text using a simple compact yep. programming language. Said was developed from 73 to 74. Holy crap. The last development was done when I was two years old. <laughs> and we're still yeah. using it. Well,
1: Because it's, Cause it's com- still good. Probably because, yeah, it, there's no other reason not to. Right. You think that would be true
0: of an Apple product? Would they keep using something for 40 years just because?
1: No. Of course not.
2: <laughs> There's no way. I mean, they might take the exact same product and wrap it in a shiny new package and put an S on the end of it, but uh, <laughs> but no, so, they wouldn't do the exact same thing.
0: So, Miles joined this podcast on his shiny Mac uh, la- uh, computer. <laughs>
3: what do you think about that, Miles? I've already reboosted it once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um i do not know hey it runs bsd doesn't it well a heavily modified version yes yeah that's it that's my excuse i'll stick with that
1: (laughs) it's a good excuse we'll let you go with that one for now
0: yeah so nordic in the chat room gives the simplest description of said said substitute something for another that's the perfect way to put it
1: yeah that is
2: um so it's find and replace um yeah. But he probably put it that way because he actually knew what it was. So. <laughs> I had to google. But it. it's been
1: so long since you've used, you know, most of us, you know, right. even if you are command line godfathers, it's
3: something you don't use a lot. Right. I, I rem- so. It, it's part of VI, isn't it? it like yeah, when you hit the colon, you actually go into a said command mm-hmm. processor.
1: Same thing with Vim. It's built yeah. into the programs now. You don't really use set on its
2: own anymore. Well, I have used I, it. I'm sorry. S- somebody said VI and I passed out for a minute.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're oh, an Emacs yeah. guy. That's right? a religious <laughs> one, isn't
0: it? <laughs> <I forgot>. Yes.
1: <laughs> and we're all on different pages of that one. We have Vim Vim, Vim, Vim and v, Vi here. And, yeah. and GUI.
0: Yeah. And Emacs. Uh, yeah. G-Edit. That's where I come yeah. down on
2: that. notepad plus
0: plus (laughs) (laughs) oh man that is the best notepad utility in the world for windows yes yes well you know it just is it's the best regardless of what platform it's on it's the best but i've i've used said as uh, uh, to be honest with you i'm I'm just i'm gonna lay it out here the only time i've ever used said is when i've copied a command line off a web page into my terminal and hit enter (laughs) um, which is something you're never supposed to do but, but I do all it. of us we do it. We all do it. Yeah. And it usually began with pseudo. So I essentially said, hey, computer, as the highest rate possible, do this thing that I don't know what it does that somebody said I should do. Um, <laughs>
2: that's smart. That's all right.
1: It'll be okay. you can always, you know, blow it away and put it, put it back on.
2: Yeah, what's the worst that could happen when you do that?
0: Nothing well, bad, right? You know, They could pwn you. Well, that's the thing. In the Linux world, it's really hard. Even when you give somebody that kind of power, it's hard for them to do much with it. Yep. Which is both good and bad because it also means it's hard for me to do something with that kind of power when I want to. Yeah. Um, Okay, so... uh, before we start in on the news, let's let's talk a little bit about Miles, who's here, uh, not so much as a guest but as a guest host. But let's just learn a little bit about you. So you've already said that you're an Australian uh, transplanted in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, what what else would you like to tell us, uh, the audience that wouldn't get the IRS uh, at your door? <laughs>
3: um. Oh wow. Um, okay. Well, I'm. Uh 35 year experience software developer. Um, oh, wow. Have you done anything yeah. we might know? Uh, not really. No, I've always stayed under the radar. Right I, okay. I uh, started in nineteen. Wait, wait, wait. I, I have to do this.
0: So you've stayed down under?
3: Sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, let me give you some sort of time slices for me so it makes some sense. The first. 25 years of my life, I lived in a city in Australia called Adelaide, which has about a million people in it. It's about the size of, a, like, Portland.
1: And it's, What's, it's- What side of your island was that on? It's on it's the on
3: central the- south coast. So, if you North can imagine, south. like, okay. the map of the United States where Houston is, and you mm-hmm. replace that with a map of Australia, Adelaide would be there. So, right yeah, back Because I was in, in Perth. Right, I've been to Perth. Okay, yeah, Perth's not like that's off to the west. Yeah, about half a country away. But yeah, 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 so in
0: in Australian terms and in Texan terms, when you say not far away, that could mean a (laughs) six-day drive.
3: Yeah, I (laughs) should give you some perspective. The landmass of Australia is about the same as the landmass of the United States. Right. So coast to coast, that's the sort of travel time.
0: But you, but while while we're fifty states, you're what
3: five provinces. Yeah, like nine yeah. cities, and yeah. mm-hmm. they call them states. Unlike Canada, they they call them states, but there's not many. Okay, there's a lot of cattle ranches. Right. I mean, and outback, and nothing. That's and- that's probably why I love living here in the desert. It's like it's, <laughs> it's like, like, like home. home. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I I lived there for the first 25 years, and I became one of those first people who ever got into personal computers so when that 1977 TRS-80 Commodore PET Apple thing came about they call that the holy trinity of computers um I was a TRS-80 guy I got one of the first ones in my city and geeked out and I ended up working for a little electronics store who sold ham radios and stuff like that and eventually got into computers and I kind of rode the wave and ever since then i've been a computer guy so i've had pretty much every single computer that's probably ever been invented and one the ones i missed out on now i'm in my latter half of my life i'm going back and i'm buying them on ebay and i'm <laughs> doing them up so the, i got i got over here I was i was working for a company that makes submarines go figure big diesel electric you know blow up things and i did networks on the boats and i also did uh, ship to shore communications and high level systems and oxygen stuff that's important yeah breathing Um, is helpful just a little bit yeah it kind of helps so i did all this sort of stuff and the people who also did that sort of stuff typically were not from australia now although we're a big island the problem is that we don't have too many people that know how to build a submarine So, most of the people who do came from the United States, Sweden, uh, UK, and we had all these people come into this company that I worked at and I got to know all the Americans and we got on like a house on fire. I mean, we're down the pub on a Friday drinking and having a good old time and eventually at some point I ended up coming here and I've not really left. I left for about <laughs> five years in the 90s, and then I was kind of like Frodo in Lord of the Rings going back to the Shire. You know, you <laughs> can't return home after you've had that adventure. <clears throat> so I just got <laughs> back on the plane and came back and brought the family, and uh, we landed in LA. I lived there for 10-odd years. Um, did pretty well. I, I got a job working for this little startup. Uh, that was making uh, biotechnology drugs before anybody knew what biotech was. And they were a small little company and I became one of like the six hundred employee, something like that. They're called Amgen. They're now the biggest biotech in the world. They have like 50,000 employees or something. It's ridiculous. So I rode that wave for a while. That was fun.
0: So you're now a billionaire Uh, is what you're
3: saying? No. No. I not thought that's really.
0: how that works. I thought everybody who worked for a company that got big became
3: a billionaire. Is that, are you, nah, you that's, shattering that's my American dream? dream? Those guys. Oh, okay. That's not. Yeah, Darn. that doesn't. No, I, doesn't I'm just, I'm just a schmuck. You know? <laughs> but the thing, the thing that I learned about it was that I really enjoyed my independence. And I realized that if I wanted to do all the things that I wanted to do, dreams and you know develop this thing and tinker with that and all of the freedom that you need, I couldn't do it under somebody's employment, so I went off as I probably—I've always been a very independent person. So I went off as a self-employed guy and tried to build up companies. And I've been very lucky. Uh, I mean, I worked my butt off, but it's—it's it's worth it. And and the reason is that I do the stuff that nobody really seems to want to do. Um, I do the stuff that's not in the media. I do the stuff that I see with my own eyes. So I go out there in the world and I witness something and I see a need and I see an opportunity and then I'm in the hacker space building that thing. And then I go out there and I show it to people and they like it and or sometimes, you know, most don't, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's how it, it works for me. So I work in a very alternative world. Uh, world, um, I don't, follow the mass, you know, migration. I kind of live on the outskirts a bit. I'm kind of like one of those crazy inventors that kind of got lucky. And these days I just like doing that. I mean, all I'm doing right now is tinkering around with Raspberry Pis and Beagle Bones and assembly code and trying to make old things new again. And ah, it's all fun that's that's me and i i have i have a wife and i have a daughter who's just started college so uh yeah i've got i've got those bills
1: (laughs) (laughs) well that will never end i'm sure and you you said in
0: some of our uh previous uh conversations and and if anybody's watching the the video right now can see that you have a a fairly advanced audio rig that you're you're into podcasting not just as a listener tell us a little bit about that
3: well When I first came to America, I, I, well, okay, go back even further. Um, I was a musician at the age of four. My parents were really, really big into classical music, and I was taught to be a, a violinist. And by the time I was about 11, I was in the local junior symphony orchestra for the state. So I had a very intense musical background. And I don't know whether that plays into my ability to be a programmer or not. Some people say that the two go together. Some they very
0: much do. Yeah, yeah, they do.
3: Um, so, but you know, like like any twelve-year-old, I threw the violin away and picked up the electric guitar because you can't get girls with a violin. I don't care what people tell you. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta be either a guitarist or a drummer. You know, a, a drummer. So, I did the electric guitar thing, and I got very lucky with that because i had such a advanced musical background i was in bands that actually went somewhere nothing nothing huge that you probably ever heard of but when i came to la here is a kid who knows how to play a guitar and he's in hollywood so what do you think i'm gonna do go form a band so yeah we did that and i ended up doing okay with that and I found myself in a lot of recording studios. And there are two sides of a glass in, in in the recording. You know, there's the glass for the performers behind the microphone. And on the other side of the glass is the big recording mixers and consoles. And you'd spend a lot of time waiting. So while I'm waiting, I'm talking to the engineers and I'm, you know, techie geek. What's that button do? Tell me about this. What's that patch bay mean? What's How do you record this? What are, Next thing you know, I mean, maybe I'm just driving them nuts, but they're saying to me, why don't you come in and help me out on a session I'm going to do a week from now, and I'll teach you all this stuff. So I did that sort of thing, and I happened to be lucky enough to be working with one of the producers for Tears for Fears. So this is a while back, right? Um, mm-hmm. But this this guy was a genius, and he helped me learn everything. So I took my musical background... And now everything I'd learned in recording engineering. And next thing you know, I'm working with Capital Records, who have got me doing engineering work of some of their new artists. And that was really exciting. So you can, I kind of have a fairly strong position with broadcasting and music production and recording. And that's why I've still got a big studio and all that sort of stuff. Which can get in the way, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <But>. That's
0: that's <laughs> kind of buttons, yeah. That's similar to my story. Only I, I wasn't in LA, but I I came to podcasting because of my love of recording and and engineering and that sort of stuff. And and uh, also I'm a giant ham, so it kind of sort of hit all the buttons and and fired <laughs> all the, the the neurons.
3: Well, you know, the one thing you do learn very quickly is that there might be one in ten thousand artists that actually makes a living doing what they want to do. And the other 9,999 are on some registry somewhere of session musicians you can probably pick if you ever need a, a reggae drummer or something. Um, And every one of those session musicians is far better than I would ever hope to be.
0: If you want to be a studio rat, you have to be amazing. You have to be able to put down anything, any piece of music anybody puts in front of you, play it right the first time because you're on their dime paying thousands of dollars for studio time. Those guys are some of the best musicians in the world.
3: Yeah, and if you don't make it by the age of 25, there's no way you're going to have a career at the age of 45. It's just not going to happen. For me, I could flip to the other side of the glass and I could become a recording engineer. But having spent a lot of time in that world, you get to know that these guys work really, really hard and they get really bad pay. And you know what? It's better to be a programmer. You just right. make you know, <laughs> more money, your family's happy, everything's cool. But, you know, in the back you tinker and you, you do the odd little you know, project here and there. That's... that's- Kind of what keeps me interested. There's hard work. There's
0: low pay. But you left out the abuse by drunken musicians. So, oh yeah, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's and a fringe benefit.
1: Yes. Ooh, that <laughs> yeah, would never be fun.
0: When when a band's album tanks, they don't look at the songwriting. They go straight to the recording engineer and say, "Sure, you mix this. It's garbage. It's your fault." Well, yeah. We sound so much better when we're
1: stoned. <laughs> and, <laughs> Well, that's so it's cool. That's like you're talking from experience there, Mark.
0: Well, you know, I. I- <laughs> the lawyers uh, told me i couldn't say anything more about that um I, I it's it's cool to to hear about uh the you know a, a member of our audience i have i have often said that we have one of the smartest audiences of any podcast um and where it's a fe- fairly small audience but maybe that's because there aren't that many really smart people so you're you're elite in that i'm going to say see, see see what i did there see what i did there yeah. i made you look good and me all at the same time um so that's fascinating. Did you have any um, any topics, any discussions, any questions that you wanted to ask while you were here? Anything? Anything on your mind? Uh, no,
3: not really. I. I okay. I, why am I here? Um, <laughs> no, I. I, I just yeah. enjoy you guys. I think you guys. Well, have, that's an existential a, question. You
0: know. Why am I here? <laughs> I think all all sentient beings ask it at some point. No, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I just wanted to. I didn't want to. You know, give you an hour and a half to two hours on a show, and then when it was
3: over, you said they didn't let me talk. No, no, you—you guys have been absolutely gracious, and I appreciate it. No, but if I can contribute something here, bring it on. I'd love to help. It. All right. So while we're, uh, because Seth has been
0: uncharacteristically quiet for this part of the show, we need to get into his forte. I, sometimes I feel really sorry for Seth because he spends all week uh, uh, gathering the news. He's like a gardener. He tends the news. He he cultivates <laughs> it. He finds the best news. He, he 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 lets it rise to the top and then he puts it in the show notes. And then I look over the 16 things that he brought and said, uh, we'll talk about one of those. And I <laughs> we feel it's like a little kidney punch to my buddy, Seth. Um, and so we, we're sort of in that thing now where uh, you know, an hour and fifteen minutes in, and we're just now getting to the news. But we'll cover some of. But he's he, the first one he wanted to talk about
2: uh, is the never-ending story of Apple lawsuits. Ugh. Okay, but this one I thought was so cool because you know. Has anyone knows who has, you know, su- sullied their hands with an Apple product, you don't actually own the device. Apple owns the device, and you purchase a license for a very limited subset of things you can do with it. So the Whoa, DOJ— wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I got to stop.
0: I got to stop you there. The, the, Apple is no different than any other software company in that. They, you, bu- you buy the hardware. They license the software.
2: Okay, but because the fact that they license iOS to users and because Apple specifically states it retains ownership of iOS, the Department of Justice is suing them to force Apple to unlock the phone in a case the Department of Justice has against a defendant. And so it's kind of a novel thing that has never been tried before, but if Apple is going to say, we own iOS and license it to you, therefore the department of justice is trying to compel them to, well, if you own it and you specifically retain your ownership, then you need to unlock it. Because of this uh, legal lawsuit they're having with the defendant, the defendant's iPhone is locked, and you know I don't know he's not going to unlock it. Maybe because you know he has maybe forgot the password, or it's um, you know it has incrimination, and he doesn't want to incriminate himself. But I just thought it was kind of cool that um, it was just an interesting thing I hadn't seen it before, and I thought it would be interesting fodder for a discussion tonight.
0: So the, the way I'm understanding this story here as I'm reading the abstract of it is the Department of Justice is saying that Apple essentially has a monopoly position over everybody who has their software and that they are – and and most people think it's illegal to have a monopoly in the U.S. It's not. It's illegal to, to abuse your monopoly power. And so it seems to me that they're trying to, to say that Apple is using their monopoly power to say that everybody who owns – has one of their iOS devices um, is is being improperly coerced to doing things the Apple way. That means the users as well as the developers. Apple is very... um, uh what, what can I say, very well known for being particular about apps and rejecting apps because they don't like the color pattern used in the icons. They It's their garden, and if you want to get planted there, you better meet their standards. So the DOJ is saying that's not okay. If you don't want to let people in your store, you have to let users put whatever apps they want on the devices, essentially jailbreaking from Apple by
2: uh, duress of lawsuit. This- well, no, they're saying that... Because Apple Software Licensing Agreement specifically states that iOS 7 software is licensed, not sold, and that the users are merely granted a limited, non-exclusive license to the use of the software... Apple cannot reap the legal benefits of licensing, licensing its software and then later disclaim any ownership or obligation to assist law enforcement when that same software plays a critical role in thwarting execution of a search warrant.
0: So there, okay. So I miss misund- on, I'm reading if I had read ahead of time, that would be prepared, <laughs> but then you would miss this scintillating conversation. So, it seems like they're uh, they're tackling the issue of ownership. If you yeah, say right. you're gonna own it, you have to own all the good and bad of it
2: right Yeah because Apple specifically maintains their ownership and it's the security of the software that is thwarting them from executing the warrant. And apparently they aren't just saying, we think we'll find stuff, let us do it. But they actually have a warrant to see the phone and Apple is saying, it's not our phone. We're not going to do it. But yet they specifically say this is our phone and you're licensed to use it. So, you know, it's, you know, I mean, who do you trust big government or big corporations, you know, Um, And that answer
0: is, uh, wow, fascinatingly, that answer differs depending on geography. In the U.S., Mm -hmm. we distrust government and we trust business. In most of Europe, we distrust uh, business, but we trust government. Uh, Miles, what's
3: the prevailing attitude in Australia? Uh, Well, I think it's changed a lot over the years, but Australia has a very large government as a percentage of the general population and so consequently i think the average person and i may be only speaking from my own perspective here but i think that the average person feels that there's too much government and government should be scaled back at the same time they're worried that their street isn't getting fixed with a big pothole in it and all that stuff so you know i don't know so I what think- are the, what
0: what are their attitudes toward business do do australians uh in in general trust companies or no
3: yeah yeah Australians are very trusting people i mean that's a okay. good that's a good quality right uh,
0: yeah, we down- as Am- we, yeah I'm sorry we as Americans trust companies because we know or we feel that we have some authority over them and that we can boycott them we can sue them there's legal regress um redress excuse me um for the government we feel that we have no control over which is ridiculous because allegedly we live in a democracy where we have the ultimate control over the government Mm -hmm. um but what's fascinating republic? yeah it's not a democracy but a lot of people think it is uh what's fascinating though is you go to uh the more restrictive the governmental regime the more people seem to trust the government Maybe that's just evidence of good brainwashing. You talk to a good Chinese citizen, and they will thank the government for everything that they have um, because they believe, uh, or at least (laughs) maybe they're saying because they don't want to get shot in the head, that uh, the government is the source of all good things. And they're learning in China to, to trust business. But right now, business can only be trusted if government gives it the nod.
3: Which is interesting. Yeah, I think we're probably more of the return on investment attitude, like what can I do? What am I going to get back by trying to do something? And if it's just too hard, it's just not worth even trying. And that's a sad, you know, situation because people just give up way too easily. But at right. the same time, it's a realist. Um that's that's pragmatic and it's reasonable and it might be more fun to go to the and watch the football. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I don't know. Plus, if
2: you're fighting business because you don't trust them, the, you know, theoretically, Businesses don't have the power to just arbitrarily throw you in jail, although there's lots of anecdotal evidence that businesses abuse their power and do just that. Um, Anyone who's read stories about what happens when you find a prototype Apple phone lying around. (laughs) um, But, you know, so yeah, coming back to this article, I really don't know who to root for on this because, you know, the Department of Justice... They don't seem to have my justice at heart. Exactly. But at the same token, you know, I mean, my stick of Apple bashing, you know, that has a firm basis in reality, at least my personal opinion. So I don't like the way companies get away with the crap they throw in their software licensing agreement. And so I kind of would like to see Apple take it on the chin so that way they would have to maybe do a realistic software licensing agreement but at the same token if the DOJ wins this then what do they what power do they take based on that court decision
3: you know i'm wondering See, they- if this is not maybe not necessarily as it appears cuz it sounds to me like this is a great opportunity for somebody in a back room somewhere from the DOJ to go to Apple and say you know that little back door that we asked you to put in that you yeah, didn't want to do it, you know? Well, maybe if you did that, maybe this problem might just go away. Uh, spoken like yeah, a true tinfoil hat. I like it. <laughs> I'm sad man, I didn't man, think I of that.
0: <laughs> Seth, you're falling down on your job. I am, man. Um, I had a thought there, but you just blew it out of water. Oh, the the what's fascinating here is, at least in my uh, knowledge, uh, in my lifetime, the concept of software licensing has never really been challenged. Um, early on, you wrote software and you sold software. I gave you a disk that had the, the software on it. You bought the software, not the disk. Um, I don't know that Microsoft pioneered it, but they certainly charged ahead full speed with the concept of licensing. It's my software. I own it. You cannot do anything with it. I'm giving you limited use of it. And that's been the law of the land now for thirty five forty years yeah um for and almost ever. what's fascinating to me is I have never really thought that that holds legal water. The only reason that it's legal is because we click the i agree button um we well, and we no sub- one's
1: challenged it
0: right we submit to it um and there there have been a couple of of things uh i can't remember where it was, but somebody said that uh um that by clicking the I agree button, uh, people are enter- entering into a contract unknowingly, and therefore that va- invalidates it. But it was really more of a, a you know a crackpot group of people trying to justify their piracy uh, than anything else. Or that uh, you know any miner who's ever clicked I agree on a software license couldn't couldn't do that because they're miners. But I would really love to see to the I the entire concept of software licensing go up to. Uh, you know, a, a significant court level and have somebody rule on that, does that model of business uh, comply with the laws of the country? I'm not sure that it does, but I'm not sure that it doesn't.
2: But at the same token, I don't think I want a government to rule on that because what was that service you had that was legal until the government Aereo, said, yes. yeah, Aereo was legal until the government said it doesn't violate any laws, but because it doesn't violate any laws it's it's illegal. And I mean, you know, really that was the entire text of their decision right. and it was just ridiculous. And so now I don't want software licensing to be handled by the same court that was that stupid. And <laughs> that's where this is headed and that's a scary thing. So, so let's
0: let's say let's play hypothetical for a moment and say that the the US court, all the world courts, all courts agree that so- software licensing isn't legal. What happens next? What, what is, how do we get the software that we want? Right. So we're running on, we're running on, let's say windows uh, or, or Mac, either one. Well, actually Mac is a, a different thing because it comes with the hardware. It comes pre-installed. You cannot get the hardware without the software, uh, in the windows world, in the, in the PC world, you can, you can get a bare, uh, blank hard drive with nothing on it. um, so what's interesting to me is is how do we get Windows now? If if Microsoft can't money make money licensing, that whole business model goes away. Is that a good thing?
2: Is that a bad thing? What what do you think? That's a well, I mean, you know, you can do software as a service, and you can just you know not give access to it anymore. So well, un- so
0: so now everything goes on the, on the web. Is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, that's what they want. But you'd still have to have a way to get to the web wouldn't you?
0: Well, you know, Linux gives us that. So there are open, so Windows goes away and becomes completely online and so you have to have an open source client to access Windows
1: is
2: what you're a saying, pli-
1: Seth? An open source client to access a proprietary closed
2: network. The right. the world becomes one giant terminal session. So, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what your thin client is.
0: And there's a word because- for that. It's called the Chromebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: But here's the thing, though. Right? This, this is the missing point, and I think a lot of the Linux community forgets this. Software as a proprietary asset that you own is pointless if you cannot distribute it to your customers. And we, I know this from music. There's millions of musicians out there writing fantastic compositions that own the copyright to those things, but you can't hear those things. Because you'll never hear about them because the people who control the airwaves that let you hear what you want to hear have already previously made a deal with that artist to own the publishing rights to that material. So, that's what you're going to hear. Now, unless you have a oodles of time to go hunt down every little thing and, can, you know, there's no open distribution form for this sort of stuff that's going to make life easy, um, it's very, very hard to find it. Now, maybe crowdsourcing helps, but at the end of the day, even that is being stifled and pushed down by the larger distribution models from the big the companies, you know, the big record labels and so on. So now, that, that was
0: tried, Miles, and you're old enough to remember, mp3.com tried that model. That was right. exactly what they wanted to do, uh, uh, egalitarian distribution for
3: everybody, and it didn't work. Um, Why do you think it didn't work? Well, because there's too much at stake by those that own the existing distribution channels. So the big record labels, the big publishing companies, big TV stations, that sort of thing, they own what your ears get to hear. In the software world, there's app stores. There's like Google Play. There's the Apple App Store. Microsoft are doing their thing. And that's now becoming the big record labels that's where you're getting your software from or you know because you won't hear about that android application unless it appears somewhere in the google play store as a popular releases or new releases or whatever it's like you won't hear about that website unless google index it and so the distribution is everything it's got nothing to do with whether you've got the greatest bit of software the greatest and and who owns it who cares if I can't find it, it's worth
0: zero. And- right, but the holy grail of software has always been to own not only the software, but the distribution channel. Apple Correct. built their entire fortune on owning the entire process.
3: Right. And that's why iTunes was such an important part of their strategy.
0: Yeah. so they, yeah. The, And Microsoft has tried to do that. They're, they're trying to do it now in Windows 10. Um, everything is trying to push you to the Microsoft Store. Right, and so they they want to own that distribution as well. They're trying to get away from you, uh, uh, sticking a CD into their machine and and installing software. Uh, th- that's almost gone, but not entirely. You can still go buy stuff.
1: Um, well, they're also trying to stop the uh, like changing of their defaults. Have you guys seen that? Where if you try to change the default browser to anything else other than their Edge browser, that says, "Hey, wait a minute, give us a try." Right, it makes it uh, you know an extra two steps to get something changed. So they're pushing just as hard. So that's fascinating to me because what is what
0: is the benefit of the Edge browser? Um, it, it's a free, free piece of software that everybody gets. The benefit of it is the ads that you can sell on it, the eyeballs that you can sell on
2: it. Mm-hmm. Well, and the benefit of it is it deprives their competition of that foothold in the marketplace. So, I mean, a lot of... A lot of times when you're dealing with things like this, it's not only what's good for you, what's bad for your competition. Exactly. If nobody's using Chrome, then it doesn't matter about the features in Chrome. So, you know. So I've
0: always maintained that these, these kind of fights are a win for the end user, right? Microsoft gets a better browser, everybody wins. We no longer have to deal with IE6, and, and it wasn't Microsoft's uh, need to improve their top-down uh, attitude of constant improvement that made IE6 uh, go away. It was Firefox and Chrome that made IE6 go away. Had those two not existed, we would all still be using IE6 today.
3: Well, we are. Yep. I mean, don't forget that in, embedded into the Windows operating system, and I, I can't talk for Windows 10 because I haven't really spent enough time with it, but with the previous versions all the libraries that drove IE were part of the operating system. So you open up a piece of shareware software or, or SAP or QuickBooks or any of these programs that you buy from some third party and they open up with a home page. And what is that home page? It's an embedded web browser that points back to their main company. That embedded right. web browser is IE6. Or its edge, well, they, or it's whatever. The right. Operations.
0: They largely broke away from IE six with with Vista, and then completely broke it with Windows Seven. IE six is dead, but IE is still there. So I get your point. But my point was that the we got a better browser because there was competition, um, and and Microsoft I don't think would have would have improved on their own. And Microsoft has proven that
1: they don't improve for the sake of improvement. Right. Um, well, there's no There's no demo, There's no reason to you know if if improvement doesn't generate more revenue why would they do it right and and conversely google is all about
0: improvement whether or not anybody actually wants those improvements so they're they're totally the other side they will screw their customers in the interest interest of just better because it's better uh, this whole uh, issue with uh, deprecating um, uh, uh, security certificates that are still good and still valid and still will be for the next 18 months—they're warning their users because they want to move the thing forward. So they're they're advancing because, uh, in spite of their uh, users, instead of because of their users. And so it's an interesting dichotomy between those two companies. But both of them are still making billions of dollars different ways, though. So Google doesn't sell software they sell eyeballs microsoft sells software but they're trying to get into the eyeballs business hence edge that's what that's all about hence putting everything in their yep. store they're trying to get into the eyeballs business so like miles was saying it's all about the distribution the delivery uh, eyeballs are the market of the future um so where to ch- try to bring it back around where does software licensing fit into that when the software is just the the, uh, the platform to serve up eyeballs, it, it, is this legal case 20 years too late?
1: Uh, it might be. I think we're already kind of past this
2: point. I, I mean, it, it depends. Um, I guess it, you know, I can't believe that nobody, you know, it looks like it's so obvious now. Why didn't anybody think to try this tactic? 10 years ago. Um, so just, you know, how is this going to play out? I don't know if it's 20 years too late. You could argue that the Firefox web browser was five years too late, but it wasn't five years too late. It kicked off a new age, uh, of web in, um, Whatever that word is, that means get better. I can't think. Uh, Innovation. It kicked off. It kicked (laughs) off. a Firefox kicked off a web of an age of web innovation that gave birth to Netscape or Opera and uh, Chrome. You know, Apple's not doing anything with Safari. Um, And, of course, you know, IE only updated their browser long enough to kill Netscape. So,
0: What's interesting is is you're talking about uh, Firefox. the uh, the thing that made Firefox different was the plug-in architecture, and now they're yep. they're doing everything possible to kill off the plug-in architecture. Uh, the thing that was once the the uh, the invigorating, the great power, is now become the great albatross around their neck.
2: Well, they're not doing like the, those Firefox third-party plugins. They're getting rid of the old Netscape plugins.
0: Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. So. It's it's, it, but that's I think the first step in trying to get rid of plugins in general. They want to bring, again, eyeballs. They want to bring everything back into their house so that you have to go to their store to get their plugins instead of third party plugins. Mm. Miles, what are your thoughts? Which will make-
3: well I just remember the the way that Firefox came about. I mean remember Netscape with this big mega corporation that was doing their Netscape browsers and servers and so on. And from within they had this revolution of saying, we want to do open source. They were one of the first companies to open the kimono and let the source code out the door. And when they did that, it, it was the markets were on edge. They didn't know whether or not this was going to be a good thing for them or a bad thing for them. And you could say, well, where's Netscape? They, they died. No, they didn't. They got bought they by AOL. They were Then AOL got bought by Time Warner. And Time Water eventually became subservient to AOL. And, the, you know, the world changed in a big corporate sort of manner. Meanwhile, the, because they had open sourced it, they were able to split off outside of the capitalistic activities going on and form their own foundation. And to that day, the Mozilla Foundation, to this day, it still exists. And Firefox is the premier product of that foundation so it's it's got to be it's intrinsically open source, and we have to be very grateful for what those guys did but, I mean that was a major coup now, having said that, if they've gone and tried to capitalize on all this sort of thing and they've missed the point and they've forgotten their origins, then we're all doomed
1: <laughs> well we'll just. <laughs> We'll just end up in the same boat where we were, you know, fifteen years ago, where we're behind a browser that everyone hates, and we're needing a new revolution.
3: Yeah, exactly. But at least if we don't forget our history, we're uh, we're right. going to be doomed to repeat it, right? No, hang on. Well, I, I then say, we're doomed whatever to repeat that saying. It because is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: so I think I. Th- what's interesting though is as though as the. Operating system becomes more and more il- irrelevant, and and it's all just a portal to the web. Whoever controls the web is the new power. Um, but yes. we've built the web on open standards, so everybody is wrestling uh, wrestling for power, trying to g- to grab ground on open uh, platforms, and it's not working. And so it's it's that that uh, freedom and free love and hippiness of the '60s combining with the greed and corporate avarice of the '80s, trying to find a place in the 21st century, and it's not working. Everybody who's tried it has has sputtered out of the gate. Even the giants like Microsoft and Apple and Google haven't figured out a way to how to how to really make money off of this new web thing, other than showing us punch the monkey. That's that's the thing.
2: And you know the weird thing
1: needs to go away.
2: The weird thing is, has the has the browser and even the operating system become uh, less re- or re- less relevant, then you end up with Facebook versus Apple versus Google versus Microsoft. I mean, those are like four totally different companies, but they're fighting to be the dominant thing. You know, if the only way you know the web is Facebook, then Google all of a sudden becomes irrelevant and you know, Apple becomes irrelevant. But if the only way you know, the web is this three by five metal index card, uh, that has a bunch of these (laughs) little apps on it. Then all of a sudden Google becomes irrelevant or my, you know, whichever one you have, the others become less relevant, you know, If Facebook is the dominant thing, then the app stores don't matter. If the app store is the dominant thing, then Facebook doesn't matter, and the desktop doesn't matter. If the web is the dominant thing, then there's a place for all four of those.
3: Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. If you talk to a different generation of people who are entering into the engineering world, and I don't mean software engineering, I mean engineering, so the 20-year-old and so on. Um, and And I... Hang with these guys at our local hacker space. They're not talking about websites and web browsers and web apps. They don't really care. Uh, to them, you know, Instagram, that's all passe now. Facebook, forget about it. What they're interested in doing is embedded technologies like drones or beaconing or mm-hmm. anything that's hardware based. We're going kind of full circle back to hardware. Because hardware's gotten so small now, like your watch, or that Fitbit, or that CCTV camera, or that door lock that runs by Bluetooth, or the Internet of Things, or whatever. That's, that's what we need to be talking about. Web browsers, that's, that's so 2005. We need to stop talking about that now. I, I go to CES every single year. You don't see companies there peddling web browsers. You see medical technologies really- and autonomous cars and robots and drones, and that's the stuff that is our future. And that's what this generation is focusing on. And, and these ba- battles, Microsoft, Apple, and all that stuff, which has been historical, is not really going to be relevant five or ten years from now. And, and what's fascinating,
0: at, you know, Miles, is, is the reason we got there is it was all about the hardware. Uh, and we're all old enough to remember it. We were in that that range. It was all about the hardware, and the software was inc- uh, incidental. Um, most yep. of the, 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 as I've said many times, there was no difference between a computer owner and a computer programmer in 1983. To have one, you had to be able to do the other. So once hardware flatlined, and you know, we just started slapping more cores onto the same thing, it became all about the software. And what you're predicting is a world where it's all about the hardware again, and the software doesn't matter. The software is incidental to the piece of hardware that you're driving.
3: Yeah, I think so. Or, or at least there's a fusion between software and hardware, so they're not so dis, uh, distanced from each other. Because the hardware becomes so small, uh, it becomes you know micro or nano or whatever, whatever the case is, and the software runs on that hardware, Just like firmware on a ROM chip, we don't think of a computer with a ROM chip as having software and hardware. We just think of it as hardware. That's what I think is going to become the future. Hmm. We'll embed our technology so we don't even realize it's there. But the frustrating thing is that at this point,
0: it's likely to be embedded Windows 10.
3: No, that's the beauty here. That's where Linux wins hands down because Linux scales... And Linux is headless, and Linux lives in that embedded world. That's why I so love Linux.
1: That is true. You know, know, those Windows devices, you don't see as many um, embedded Windows devices as you see specialized Linux or Unix code running on embedded works.
0: Which is why Um, Microsoft is writing a Linux operating system. Bingo. There you go. You know, uh, Linus once said, once, when Microsoft starts writing software for Linux, I'll know I've won. He not only won, he, he assimilated them. He is the Borg. Resistance is futile. They're not only making software for Linux, they're making freaking Linux.
1: Yeah. Which is crazy.
0: All right. Another thing that's crazy, moving right along from this topic and fitting right in with the, so- the hardware museum that's behind Miles there, the Apple II <laughs> can finally connect to the internet.
2: Yes, there is finally an Ethernet card solution for the Apple II computer. It's the uh, Ethernet II. It provides a built-in TCP IP stack using a chip, making it easier to develop applications. Several programs have already been updated to take advantage of the card. I just thought this was one of those cool, fun stories that, wow, you have an Apple II you can now cruise the World Wide Web, which we've just learned is irrelevant, so the perfect for an Apple II, I guess, to get on it now. Um, <laughs> one, one of the comments I loved, it was said, the Ethernet chip probably
0: contains an ARM core with more RAM and processing power than the Apple II where it sits.
3: Yeah, that, <laughs> probably. that, that Ethernet board's very interesting because that's actually a version 2 of that. I've got one or two of the old ones, and so he's been producing these for a... I can't remember the guy's name now, but I think it's about two years. And uh, they're, you know, they've been available, but you can only get them in batches. Like, he'll produce a couple of hundred, and that's it. And then you've got to wait for a year. So this new lot, this Ether- the Ethernet 2, is the next batch of them that he's making. But what's different between the previous card and this new one is that this includes a TCP IP stack in ROM. I, b- I believe it's in ROM. On, on oh, the, there you go. Yes. On the board. So you don't have to do it in software because these poor old little you know, s- 6502 one megahertz machines can't do TCP stacks. You have to <laughs> right, do it in hardware, right. and that, that's why this is such a winner. Right, so the, 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 the peripheral
0: is 1,000 times as powerful as the device <laughs> to which it is connected. Yep, right on.
1: Which is awesome. <laughs>
0: oh, only in a world of rich white people could this happen.
1: <laughs> oh. But uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but what's the reason to put an Apple IIE on the internet? Because Is there really you can any reason? Because just, before other you than went, that,
2: before you other went to the, the prison, fact that we can't. Before you went to prison five years ago, you developed this ultimate worm and you hit it on an Apple II and you need to be able to find some way to get that online so you can start making money (laughs) and saving the governments behind.
0: The the fascinating (laughs) thing is you could probably put the entire OS of the Apple II on the chip in the Ethernet card and run it a thousand times faster so that the peripheral itself could contain the entire, not just the TCP IP stack, but the entire operating system.
3: Yeah, there's a guy out there by the name of... Now, I'm hoping I'm right on this. It's Ivan Drucker, I think. And he's made a little card for Apple IIs that actually houses a Raspberry Pi on it. So you slot it into one of the card slots of an Apple II and it gets its power from the Apple II. But when you boot the Apple II, it boots Linux or Raspbian or whatever it is on the uh, uh, the Raspberry Pi. And up on the screen comes an emulator of your computer. <laughs> okay. yeah. But then it could be any emulator of any computer. So now your Apple II is an Apple III or an Apple IIGS or whatever. It's whatever you or want. Or whatever, yeah. That's
1: awesome.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, Seth, take us down memory lane with what happened this week in computer history.
2: Okay, this is kind of a recent development. Uh, October the 23rd, 2012, after 38 years, the world's first teletext service, um, BBC's CFAX, ceases broadcast due to Northern Ireland completing the digital switchover. So it was just like three years ago we lost a piece of history thanks to the great digital switchover. That happened this week in history. Huh. So,
0: teletext is closed captioning? I don't even know what teletext is.
2: If only we could figure out what that was. Mark, I only come up with the things. I don't really go and research <laughs> what it is they do. But I can vamp for just a little bit more. So, the
0: Wikipedia uh, says it's a television television information. So, it's the guide. It's the TV guide embedded in the system.
3: No, no. It's it, I remember... <laughs> With this on cable TV, they used to give you one channel, like, way back when, and it was teletext, and you could go to it, and it would be like a news ticker, and it would yeah. tell you, like, current stock okay. price, current weather, the headlines, that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> so, uh, it was invented in Britain, so, so says anonymous strangers on the internet. Um, and oh, it must be right then. So, yeah, I remember, yeah, Channel 3 on the cable would always play, like, the local uh, public broadcast station and then broadcast public events uh, on, on, like, a terrible PowerPoint slideshow. So that
2: was teletext. Well, no, the, the, the thing scrolling across at the bottom, that was more like teletext. Okay, right.
0: So, so. the the crawls that are all over CNN, where there's 17 of them stacked on top of each other, was teletext.
2: Right. Now it's been kind of co-opted by... Um, Twitter. by web functions but um it used to be teletext
0: <laughs> okay fascinating history that uh usually when you bring something i have a, a, a an idea at least of what it is but this i, I didn't know nothing so good <laughs> job Seth. so uh good keeping one. it in your corner what is your uh, uh dev slash random what have you got this week to lower my productivity so that you look better as a hiring option
2: I came across this and i have to warn you it is www.theworldsworstwebsiteever.com and when you click on the link i think you will agree (laughs) oh my god
1: (laughs) the assault on my eyes scroll
2: down that's all you know
1: um
2: (laughs) oh
0: text flying in Hypertech uh, of, of frames. There's iframes oh. in here. Oh. What's the the one that I've heard Leo Laporte talking about? Ling sells cars, something like that. That's supposed to be terrible as well, but intentionally terrible. Ling, Ling's cars. I think it is. Let's let, maybe that can be a bonus there. So uh, yeah, lingscars.com. dot com. Loading, loading. There it is. Worst website. I think this is worse than the other one, but it's intentionally bad. Go go everybody go there now. Ling's Cars, L I N G S C A R S. Um. Ooh. That is bad. <laughs> but it's it's intentionally bad. Look at the view source on it, and you'll see that Ling spent a lot of time making this really bad.
3: <laughs> I remember these websites. This is 1996 all over again. Yes.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: The only thing it's missing is Punch the Monkey. Seriously. (laughs) Uh, Is there a web ring at the bottom of it? Let's see. Um, (laughs) There needs to be a member of a web ring.
3: Man, this is priceless.
0: Yeah, so do a view source, and you'll thank me for it.
3: Oh, that's scary.
1: I don't know if I want to see the source of this. (laughs) so
0: seth i'm i'm subsuming your uh dev slash random with a little randomness of my own
2: man you're just co-opting me out of the show
0: see the original kentucky fried panda live on my webcam wow (laughs) oh and it just scrolls forever (laughs) and and keeps scrolling
1: and there is no end is there
0: it just keeps going you can trust me i
1: am ling all right wow
0: just crappy html and javascript all over the place all right that was good stuff
1: that is good i'll give link credit though that is probably the worst site i've ever seen (laughs) so maybe we should
0: do a redirect for the worst website in the world ever to that one (laughs) All right, so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us, and you might end up being on the show, because that's exactly what Miles did. He went to to elementopi.com, clicked the Contact Us button at the top of the page, typed a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox, and yes, I do respond to people who do that, don't I, Miles? Yes, sir, you do. (laughs) <laughs> it only took me like five <laughs> months, but I did it. So if you're still waiting, it's just not your turn yet. Um, if you don't trust me and you want to bypass the gatekeeper, you can send an email to edl at elementop.com. That goes to all three of us. So that I, if you think I'm screening your emails, you could do that. Or you could uh, dial 559-IMOP, leave a voice message on our Google Voice line, and we'll play it on the show. Uh, or you can just say, hey, guys, I happen to be a former recording engineer uh, uh, Software mogul guy who knows everything about everything. Can I come be on the show? And I'll say, well, Oh, guy. Okay. And, um, <laughs> Miles, it was really great having you. Honestly, you were, you fit right in. You were great. You were passionate. Uh, couldn't have asked for more out of you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Oh,
3: you're very welcome. Anytime.
0: And, uh, you, the listener, you too could be here. This could be you. Uh, so, uh, as I've said so many times before, this is listener-programmed um, radio. If you want to, if you want uh, us to talk about something or someone, this is the way you do it. Let us know what you think. As always, thank you for being a great uh, listener, Seth, Chris. Thank you for being the best co-host I can afford on what I pay you. And uh, <laughs> you can help us out by telling other people that. If you like the show, tell people that you like the show. That's the best thing you can do for us. So uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. But for now, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.